0: following audio is from fathom church in downtown littleton colorado more information about fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org all right here we go deep breath grab your bibles okay If you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, let's open it up to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 is where we're gonna be today. Uh, There are hardback black Bibles under every single chair. If you didn't bring one, you can open a phone or a tablet on those black Bibles. The page number for Matthew 13 is 819. If you're online, you can click the Bible tab or you can Google search Matthew 13. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version, but Matthew 13, you're gonna wanna see this, okay? Uh, This is a passage that you're very likely familiar with, but probably don't understand. So just pay attention today, okay? That's what I, just trust me, all right? Uh, I, I just wanted to let you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years now, okay? This summer is actually uh, the 20-year the kind of anniversary of when Christ saved me. I got saved in 2001, the summer of 2001. Uh, I was in high school, uh, and, and I got saved. And, and the first job that I got after being saved, I'd worked at McDonald's, okay? It was not a good thing. Uh, I've told you about that. But I got a job after I got saved at a Christian bookstore, Right? Uh, like I thought, okay, this is probably a good idea. Like I'm a Christian now, so I should get a job at a Christian place. So I got a good job at a Christian bookstore. And, and I don't know if you've been to a Christian bookstore, like if you were there in the early 2000s, but there was some weird stuff going on at the Christian bookstore in like 2001. Let me just tell you, okay? Uh, first, first, apparently a bunch of different kids went to heaven and they want you to know about it. First thing, weird, okay? Second, uh, at the Christian bookstore, there was a tremendous market for pink, waterproof Bibles. I don't know what you gals were doing that you required this feature. Weeping or whitewater rafting, I don't know what it was. But, but man, those were hot commodities in the early 2000s, all right? Um, third, there were like a thousand Christian movies that went straight to DVD, and this was in the time of Blu-rays. They were never on Blu-ray. They were never like digital download. That didn't exist. They were just on DVD. And, and really, there are thousands of movies, three plots. Only three plots in all of these movies. Here are the plots. Number one, a heartwarming tale about a dying kid and her horse. Okay? And, and the horse always had a name like Shadow, right? The horse was always named Shadow. And the movie was always called something like In the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Okay, that's, that's, that's movie number one. Movie number two, heartwarming tale about a really, really bad football team that turns things around and wins state, all right? As soon as they find out that their coach has a sick daughter who has a horse named Shadow, right? Like that's essentially the story. The type of, that type of movie always had a, uh, a title like this, in the shadow of the goalpost, right? Like that's the thing third type of movie was this a heart-wrenching tale about the end of the world almost always featuring kirk cameron right? Like that's the truth. And spoil alert, Kirk plays a man with a daughter and a horse named Shadow. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, that's all you get. And they were all straight to DVD. These were strange things, strange things going on at the Christian bookstore for a new believer. Okay. Uh, But the biggest seller, when I was, uh, you know, working at the Christian bookstore, the biggest seller at that time in the Christian bookstore was a little bracelet that went around your hand with four letters on it. WWJD, which stands for what would he do, <laughs> right? What would Jesus do? Simple to answer until you read the Bible, right? Really, I mean, like, like, like would he spit in some mud and rub it on some blind guy's face to heal him? I mean, what, what would you do? Next time you go to, to, to find a blind person, you just spit and rub it all over there. Like, that's hard, okay? Flip over a table at church and kick everyone out. Like we have security for that. Caleb's out in the hallway. He will escort you out of here, okay? So, see, when you think about it, the WWJD question is not an easy question to answer, but, but these bracelets were hot. Anybody willing to admit that they had one? Anybody willing to admit they had more than one? Anybody willing to admit they're wearing one right now? No, no. Somebody at home is, I hope. Um, So the point of these bracelets, and actually most of the things that were sold uh, at the Christian bookstore when I was there was was really to kind of give Christians this like subversive way to share about the hope that they have in Christ. Like that's kind of the, the point of most of these little trinkets. And I bought into it full on. Right. I'm 16. I just get saved. I find a job at the Christian bookstore. And so I got my like extreme teen Bible that's like hot pink and glowing and waterproof. Right. And I get my WWJD bracelet and I go to my high school, my public high school. And I just thought people are going to flock to me and ask me about my bracelet. And I was going to get a whole bunch of kids saved. Like that's just kind of how I thought it was going to work. And, and like we laugh at these things today because they're kind of lame, right? It's a little lame, it's a little kitschy, but man, I kind of like the old weird way of doing things more than our modern way of not doing anything, right? Like, I kind of like that. It was all about, the whole purpose of it was about spreading the gospel, about sharing about Christ, to get others essentially to catch the kind of same thing that got a hold of us to get more people saved. I'm calling today's sermon, Delta Variant. Okay, calling today's sermon Delta Variant. Uh, How does this thing spread? How does this gospel thing spread? How does the kingdom of heaven move forward? Like, how, how do we get more people around us to know and love Jesus Christ? Is it a new bracelet? Do we need a new bracelet? Is there like a new strategy that we need to come up with? Our text today, in Matthew 13, Jesus uh, does something that, that I think is going to help us with this. So, Matthew 13, the Delta variant. Here we go, starting in verse 31. Jesus put another parable before them. Now, let's pause right there, okay? Uh, I've been gone the last two weeks, so this is going to be like a three-hour sermon, okay? I've got a pent-up energy that will just—there's no second service, so— we're just going for it, okay? But um, but in the last two weeks, we have moved into Matthew chapter 13, and Matthew 13 is kind of like a hinge. It's like a middle point of this book, and it's a hinge between the first half and the second half of the book. And this chapter, chapter 13, is actually known by scholars as the Parables Discourse. The parables discourse, because there are parables in Matthew chapter 13. The last two weeks, okay, Kyle and John, they taught on two parables in this chapter, the parable of the sower, okay, the sower or the parable of the soils. You, you remember this a couple weeks ago. And then the parable of the weeds is what John covered last week. And they did a tremendous job covering that material. And I, and I love those guys. They did a great job, but they kind of cheated a little bit. I mean, right? Like, I mean, if you were here, you heard the sermons. It was great, but but it's kind of cheating because Jesus gave them the interpretation to those parables. <laughs> John. Today we are given no such luxury. We have to actually do the work ourselves. So so this is you gotta you gotta no more slacker church. All right. Today, we have to do some work. Now, on the surface, parables, on the surface, they seem like illustrations. Like on the surface, they would seem like the way that I tell stories or use illustrations, that that's what Jesus is doing with this. He's using an illustration to drive home a point. That would be really nice if that's what parables were, but that's not what Jesus is doing with parables, He's not just illustrating things with parables. There's actually a lot more nuance and complexity to this. So uh, a great biblical scholar named C.H. Dodd uh, explains parables like this. I'll put this quote up on the screen. At its simplest, a parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life. That's helpful, but then he goes on. Arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. Okay. Parables aren't always straightforward. Parables at times are unclear. Parables will often disturb the hearer of the parable. Because they are meant to cause the listener to dig deep, to dig deeper, to chew on that idea a little bit longer, to wrestle with what's being taught. And this is an intentional rhetorical device that Jesus uses in his teaching. So with that in mind, let's read the first of the two parables that we're going to cover today. Uh, back to verse 31, Matthew thirteen thirty-one. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." So this is the mustard seed parable. If you've been in church for a minute, you've likely heard this parable before, okay? Uh, and the story on the surface, it seems pretty simple. seems very simple. And to our American kind of Western modern minds, this is how we would read it. There's this little seed, little tiny seed. It's, it's small and insignificant, and it proves everybody wrong by becoming the biggest tree in the garden where all the birds make their nests, it's like a classic underdog tale, right? That's essentially what, how we would read this story. It's like David over Goliath, right? Rocky Balboa over Apollo Creed. Kirk Cameron and his horse named Shadow over the apocalypse, right? Like that's, that's essentially what we would read this as, But but that's not really what this parable means. Okay, I mean... It kind of means this, but it, but it kind of means more. I mean, uh, we, are, we are a part of this little movement called Christianity, and yet yeah, it started with you know 12 guys and a couple hundred people, and, and over time it grew and it grew and it grew, and now it's kind of this much bigger thing reaching every corner of our planet. And so yes, in some ways that is a correct interpretation, but, but I would say it, it doesn't mean less than that, but the parable certainly means more than that, So, so here's a, here, you could write this down. Here's a, a, a principle of biblical interpretation that I think would be helpful for you. Um, it cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. It cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. Jesus is writing to a particular people at a particular time and, and he wasn't thinking 2021. Like maybe in some sort of omniscient Jesus way he was, but he wasn't thinking about you. Like, I know those songs say that he was thinking about you. He wasn't. He was talking to real people in a real moment. And it cannot mean for you what it did not mean for them. So what did Jesus mean to his original audience? Well, if you were a farmer in ancient Palestine, and you heard a story about a man who planted a mustard seed in his field, you'd think he was a complete fool. You would think that that guy is the worst farmer in the history of the world. But that doesn't hit us because we don't farm mustard very often. So let, let, let's work through some details of this passage and I think it'll help illuminate what Jesus is actually trying to do. First, the mustard seed, okay? The mustard seed. You know how big a mustard seed is? Yeah, I've got one right here. See that? Nope, don't have one. I didn't even have one. I faked you out, okay? Okay. Even if I did, you wouldn't be able to see it because it's so small. A mustard seed is very small. Jesus calls it the smallest of all seeds, which isn't true. It's not true. It's not the smallest of all seeds. So was Jesus lying to us? Or was he just maybe like pre-modern unaware that there were smaller seeds than the mustard seed? No, this is him teaching. It's It's what we call a rabbinic hyperbole. As a rabbi, he's using this rhetorical device to make a point. It's a very small seed. A mustard seed is very small. It's not the smallest seed, but it's small, okay? And his effort is to stress the difference between the smallness of that seed and the growth that comes from that seed. Now that lends it right into our, into our laps of our American understanding of this story. Small things, making big things, overcoming the, it's the underdog story, it's great. It's the little engine that could seed. That's what this is. But this week I found that in other ancient Hebrew writings, it was often said not to plant a mustard seed in a garden because that mustard plant would take up so much space. Like it was actually commanded, people were commanded against planting mustard seeds because a mustard tree was considered dangerous and invasive. Okay, it'd be like wanting flowers in your flower bed in your garden at your house and planting a bunch of of dandelion seeds. Just like a bunch of dandelion, like, like, listen to me, they aren't flowers. No matter what my six-year-old daughter says, daddy, daddy, don't kill the flowers. They're they're, they're weeds. We will kill them. We will murder the weeds. And they will take over a yard with a vengeance. And, And this is how a mustard plant was actually looked at In the first century, it would eventually a mustard seed. If you planted it in your garden, it would eventually take over all the other plants in the field. And Jesus, he even mentions this. We just don't see it. So look again at verse 32 This is what Jesus says. He says it, the mustard plant, it's the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. That's not talking about the size of the plant. Okay. Sounds like it is, but it's not. You know why? Because it doesn't actually grow that tall. A mustard tree is actually better translated a mustard bush. Because a mustard tree can grow approximately 8 to 10 feet. So like this tall, that's a mustard tree. Now hear me, that's not even close to the tallest tree, Even in ancient Israel, there are trees that are significantly taller than that. So again, Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's using rhetoric to try and teach a point here. So this parable would have been confusing to the original audience. They wouldn't have thought, little engine that could, of course. It's like, remember the Titans, of course. That's not what they would have thought. He would have said, what kind of foolish farmer plants a mustard seed in his field? And how is that tree going to be big enough for all the birds? This doesn't make sense, Jesus. No farmer worth his salt would ever plant mustard in his field. Now, what in the world is Jesus trying to teach us? Like what in the world when he compares the kingdom of heaven with an invasious species of plant, what's he trying to do here? Well, this walks hand in hand with everything we've seen in Matthew's gospel thus far, okay? And it's my first point. The kingdom invades. The kingdom invades. If you plant the seed of the gospel in your life, please understand that it is an invasive species. It's an invader It will demand to become the biggest tree in your garden. In fact, it will spread and it might even choke out some other things that you've got growing in there that cannot exist now that it starts taking over. Jesus will not simply be an addition to your garden. No, he's gonna take over the whole field. He's gonna take over the whole field. Field. See, when I became a Christian back when I was 16, man, I thought uh, that, that there were a few things that I just needed to do better at because I was a Christian. That's what I thought. I'm a Christian now, so I need to stop partying and I need to stop chasing girls and I need to stop cussing, right? And then I'm in good shape because I'm a Christian. Like, that's what I thought. That's what I needed. But as I grew in my faith, I realized the utter depth of my brokenness, the utter depth of my sin. I realized that I was much more of a wretch than I ever, even, even could have like, imagined when I got saved. Like, like you, you might even hear me preaching today and you're like, this guy's kind of off. This is a little bit weird, okay? And I'm just saying, all you can see is how crooked I get with a face, mic. You don't even know the crazy that's going on in my brain right now. That's all of us, though. Church, being a Christian isn't merely cleaning up your behaviors. It's actually uprooting the deepest issues in your life and letting the gospel permeate everything, take over the field, as it were. It's being completely invaded. So this Christianity thing isn't, I got to stop cussing. It's, you to know, put together, put, put uh, all impurity to death in your heart this isn't man I gotta stop looking at pornography it's you need to kill all sexual immorality in your heart that's a lot harder than putting a filter on your phone it's attacking the reasons behind your need to tear down other people to make you, you f- yourself feel better It's it's attacking the reason behind your manipulation of your spouse or or your frustration with your kids or your slacking lackluster work at your job. The gospel isn't just a quick fix for your marriage. It's not a a five-step program for uh, being a better parent. It's it's not a program to make make you a better person. That's not primarily what this is about. It is a complete overhaul of the very depths of your soul. The kingdom is like a seed that is planted and it grows and it grows and it grows until it has invaded and taken over every corner of your life. Have you been invaded like that? Okay, that's the first parable, the mustard seed parable. Let's move to the second parable, which is similar but it has some nuances of its own. Matthew 13, look at verse 33. And Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So this is the second parable. It's similar to the first. Okay, uh, it's a parable about leaven or yeast. That's... The idea here, which is interesting, not to us, it's really interesting in the first century, but to us, we we read this and we just kind of like, all right, a gal is baking and she's baking some bread and she puts some yeast in, obviously, because that's what yeast does. It makes bread rise. And so she puts that in there and that makes the bread rise. So the kingdom again is like a small pinch of yeast and it will rise and grow and eventually leaven the whole world. Like, I mean, that's how we read it. It's small and it has a big impact. Just like we would read the mustard seed parable. That's nice and tidy. And in some ways that is correct. But again, the problem is it just means more than that. So remember It cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. And the thing about leaven or yeast is that in the Hebrew mind, if you're a Hebrew reading your Old Testament, in that mind, yeast or leaven is almost always connected with the spread of evil or sin. Yeast is always cast in a negative light. Okay, in fact, uh, leaven is mentioned 22 times in the Old Testament and 17 times in the New Testament. And to my recollection, this is the only positive mention of it. Every other time, it's negative. We just studied 1 Corinthians last year about the yeast spreading and diseasing the whole lump, diseasing the whole church. And he says, root the evil out from among you. If you remember that. Now, I googled Yeast because I don't bake, let alone know much about anything. So I googled yeast, and here's what Wikipedia says about yeast. Wikipedia. Anybody can write anything they want about any topic, so you know you're getting the best information, right? (laughs) Wikipedia tells me that yeast is a fungus. I did not know that. Yeast is a fungus. It is a single-celled, microorganism, fungal species. Okay? Now again... The Old Testament has something to tell us about fungi. About mold, about fungus, okay? There are laws in the Old Testament, in your Old Testament, forbidding Hebrews from storing yeasts, yeast in their homes. They don't want you to store it in their homes. And then all through the book of Leviticus, we find what happens when you get a fungal infection, when a fungus gets out of hand in your home or in your pots or earthenware or even in your bodies. I mean, when we think about yeast, we think bread, beer, and one other thing, right? Anybody uncomfortable? Yeah, yeast infections, I, I mean, I so wanted to call this sermon yeast infection. <laughs> it got shot down by, by the elders, so I will, uh, but man. Okay, so these two parables, Jesus just said the kingdom of heaven is like an invasive and obnoxious bush. And now he's like, the kingdom of heaven is like a yeast infection. Sign me up, Jesus, right? This is what he's doing in the ancient Hebrew reader's mind. So what does he actually mean? What does he actually mean? Well, we've already said that the the kingdom invades. Let me make point two. The kingdom infects. The kingdom infects. It invades, but it also infects us. So when my daughter Harper was born, uh, she had what's called thrush. Thrush, okay, which is a yeast infection in her mouth. When she was first born, she had this. Uh, apparently, it was super painful. It was incredibly difficult to get rid of, and it made those first months of infancy just blissful. <laughs> right? No, it, not, not at all. It was awful. All right, I always call, It doesn't matter if you, you have a perfect baby. I always call the first couple months of a new baby a beautiful nightmare. Because that's all that it really is. It's beautiful, but you're also like, what did we just do, right? I mean, but, but, but then Harper had a yeast infection thrown in there for good measure. So it just made things tough, okay? And, and, and the thing, if you, if, you, if you know about this thrush or a yeast infection, they're really difficult to get rid of. It's really difficult. We tried many different treatments for Harper's thrush before we finally rid her of that infection. The, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God the people of the kingdom, we're the same. We're to be tenacious. We're to be resilient. We're to thrive in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And we've been doing it for 2,000 years. Rome tried to wipe us out. No such luck. The Middle Ages, the Dark Ages tried to eradicate us the church only grew and, thri- and thrives. Even in a postmodern society where everything seems secular and, and goodness, the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. And yet if you did the research, the church is on the upswing, on the rise. It's just not showing up in the United States the way we would want to see it. But you go to the third world, you go to the global South and you will see Christianity. You see the Middle East is seeing revival right now for the gospel. We're like yeast. We're like leaven. You got to work really hard to get rid of us. The kingdom is infectious. This is why I'm calling this sermon Delta variant. Because we don't have to stretch our imaginations very far in this cultural moment to understand the need to be careful with like a contamination, right? The kingdom is infectious. Have you been infected? I asked, have you been invaded? Have you been infected by this thing? to the point where it's taken over. Now there's one more aspect and angle to these parables that I want to point out before we close up today. And it's this, look at again at the first parable. Okay, the first parable, the mustard tree, it grows and it grows and it grows until it overshadows and it takes over everything in the field. We talked about that. And then it says that the birds of the air come and they make their nests in its branches. What is this? Well, it's a reference to a number of Old Testament prophecies, one in Ezekiel, one in Jeremiah. And and essentially, in the Old Testament, the idea of the tree and the birds coming and making their nests in the tree is referring to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the birds, and the tree is Israel, and it's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise that one day Abraham, from his seed, all the nations would be blessed. And so this tree, this seed, this nation is now a place where the Gentiles are showing up and they're making nests and they're grafted in, finding their home in that tree. And frankly, this is what Jesus will commission the church, his people, his kingdom to continue as their mission in Matthew chapter 28. You know this passage, I'll put it up on the screen. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, of all those nations, all those birds, make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the result of planting the mustard seed, this invasion, okay, the result of its growth, this infection that takes over is the Great Commission. The Gentiles are now a part of the family of God. We're here because of this invasion and this infection. And then... In our yeast parable, that second parable, there's something similar going on, okay? The measurements that are mentioned are very interesting, okay? If you look again at verse, uh, I think, 33, it says that the woman put the yeast in three measures of flour. Now, three measures means nothing to us, but three measures is equated to an ephah in the Old Testament, and that's about 50 pounds of flour. 50 pounds of flour. This is way more than, than making bread for your family, This is enough bread if if that little pinch of yeast can leaven 50 pounds of flour. That's enough to feed 100, 150 people. Just like the Great Commission is found in the first parable. Now Jesus is saying in the second parable that a seemingly insignificant pinch of yeast could permeate an entire village. 100, 150 people. So this is my final point for the morning. The kingdom invades, the kingdom infects, and the kingdom affects. There are effects of the kingdom coming into your life. There are effects. Yes, it invades and it infects your whole life, but then it also begins to affect all of those around you and it does it at a disproportionate measure than you're putting into it. So I'll just share my story, okay? Um, Like I told you, I I got saved in high school, but it was in eighth grade that a friend invited me to go to his youth group. In eighth grade, a friend invited me to go to his youth group. I wasn't a church kid. uh, And so I went and listen, uh, this was not like a masterful evangelism strategy. They weren't like doing like a big invitation drive to get more kids to their youth group. I was one friend inviting another friend to his youth group. and, and, And it was simple. It was a mustard seed. It was a little bit of yeast, but the youth group was really lame. It was super lame, okay? It was was like the first time I went. The first time I went to this youth group, here's what happened. Uh, It was like 15 kids and some leaders, okay? A couple lame leaders, but some leaders, all right? Uh, They gave us fruit snacks, okay? So that maybe is borderline lame, I don't know. I had a fruit snack. Uh, There there were handprints from all the previous students painted on the wall. That was the whole decoration was like red, yellow, and blue handprints all over the wall, all right? And and then we went outside, we played a game, Red Rover. We played Red Rover, okay, at the first youth group. Uh, And then we sang some weird songs with hand motions. Like, listen to me, seriously, there has never been a teenager in the entire history of the world who has said, play Pharaoh Pharaoh again, like, it was lame, okay? It was lame, and I'm not joking. That At that first youth group, they started like, oh, you're new, because I'm like one of 15 kids who doesn't know Pharaoh, Pharaoh? Who doesn't know that? So they're like, oh, tell us about yourself. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm Chris, you know, I play guitar. I'm in a band, I love Metallica. And the first thing, the first time I went, they said, man, you should break all those Metallica CDs because that's the devil's music. They said that my first time. My very, this is terrible evangelism, okay? This is how we're coaching Kyle with the youth group. Don't tell them to break any CDs. Not that anybody has CDs anymore, okay? At the end of the night, okay, the whole thing was lame. I mean, it was just silly. At the end of the night, uh, my friend who brought me, who invited me, he said, hey, Chris, uh, you want to come again next week? I'm like, yeah, man, I'd love to do that. Have your mom pick me up. Invasion. It was the start of an invasion. Those lame leaders became some of the most meaningful relationships I ever had. I mean, it wasn't like, don't picture like cool youth guy. All right, there was this older guy named Rich. And when I say older, I mean, it's just not the guy that you picture being the youth leader. Rich, okay? He had a long white beard. He moved very slow and gingerly. And he hiked his pants up real high in a time when it was not cool to have high hiked pants, all right? And Rich, by the way, was literally the worst dodgeball player in the history of the world. And we played a lot of dodgeball in that youth group, okay? So time came for dodgeball. And listen, Rich was the first one out, followed by all the junior high girls. It's just how it happened every... So there was nothing cool or attractive about Rich to a 16-year-old kid. But, but as soon as Rich would get out and dodgeball, he'd sit down with whatever youth were also on the sideline, and he'd start digging into a deep conversation with them. And year after year after year, every kid who graduated said, Rich played a major part in them knowing and loving Jesus. He loved students and had a deep impact on their lives. It's an infection. Then we did have one youth pastor that was paid, Kevin I've told you about Kevin before, but Kevin, Kevin saw something in me as an individual and he dis- discipled me and, and he gave me some responsibility, like leadership responsibilities in our youth group. And, and actually I graduated high school and he gave me my first intern job as a youth guy right out of high school. I was a youth in- summer intern. It's like, it's, it's essentially church talk for slave labor. That's what internships are. So I was a slave there. Um, and, and, and he encouraged me. He encouraged me that God might be leading me into ministry as a career. So so I took that little bit of encouragement, that little investment, that little mustard seed, and I went to college to study theology, and I went on to seminary, and I moved into vocational ministry. These are the effects. Invasion, infection, and the effects. And if it wasn't for that eighth grade friend inviting me and dodgeball rich failing but investing in me, And for that youth, Pastor Kevin encouraging me towards ministry. If it wasn't for all of that, then literally we wouldn't be sitting here today. You might probably be in another church. You wouldn't be here. The kingdom invades, the kingdom infects, and the kingdom affects. Now, let's close up with this. Did you notice uh, that there was a word that was used in 33? I don't know if you caught this, but uh, this is important. It said that the woman took the yeast and she hid it in the flower, hid it in the flower. Uh, that's the, the word that's translated hid is a good translation. It's the Greek word egrypto, which is where we get our word encryption. Okay? It was hidden in the flower. I think there's some intentionality there. See, in, in keeping with this kind of Delta variant theme, this infection theme, think about this, okay? We are now moving into the fall. We're coming into cold and flu season again. And don't you dare think it's going to be like last year where nobody got sick at all, right? Masks are gone, people. Get ready to get awful. It's going to be a bad cold and flu season, okay? But you, when it's cold and flu season, you can't see the flu, You can't see strep. You can't see COVID. You can't see the Delta variant. These are things that you cannot see. There is this uh, unseen thing that gets on the inside of you like a germ or a virus. It's hidden. It's encrypted. But then from the inside out, what do you begin to see? Once you've been infected by it, what do you begin to see? Well, you still don't see flu. You don't go, ah, there's some flu on you. No, you, you actually begin to see the symptoms of that infection. And this is a picture again of, of what the kingdom of God is like in our lives. You don't get the symptoms unless you get infected by it first. You don't get the symptoms of the kingdom unless you get the infection first. And a lot of us were taught the opposite. A lot of us were taught the opposite way that if we get all the symptoms right, if we get like loving others right and sinning less right, and we read our Bibles and we go to church, if we get those symptoms, then you'll get the kingdom. But that's backwards. That's flip-flopped. The scriptures teach the complete opposite. The only way to get the effects of the kingdom is to be infected by his kingdom. Have you been infected? Have you been invaded? Only then will you see genuine effects. Have you ever believed? Have you ever believed in Christ in this way? If so, have you ever let that seed work its way through your whole life? Have you ever let that yeast leaven the whole batch only then will the birds come and nest. Only then will there be enough bread to feed the village. Church, these are the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. To those who have ears, let them hear. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for for stories, for parables, for these moments, these teaching moments from Jesus that are seemingly simple. So simple, in fact, that when we hear them, they often go in one ear and out the other. And yet when we dig a little deeper and when we are provoked by the imagery that you give us, we begin to see a deeper and richer meaning to these stories. Lord, I do pray over us as a church for my family, my friends, my church here, that, that we would be invaded by the kingdom that we would be invaded by the gospel, that it would take over every nook and cranny of our lives, that it would be like that tree that chokes out the things that are not of the kingdom in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that it would be an invasion. I pray it would be like an infestation, like we couldn't get rid of it, like we couldn't punt on this thing. And Lord, I do pray there would be fruit, there would be effects in our lives and then also in our community, in our family, in our friends, our neighbors, God, this is the kingdom that you are that you are setting forth, that you inaugurated, and that we get to be a part of. Lord, I do pray that we would be kingdom people, that we would be kingdom followers, that we would be leaven, that we would be seeds, and that we would see great fruit for Your name'sake, for Your glory. Lord, help us to this end. Holy Spirit, empower us to this end. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.